Now, as I have expressed a number of times from this stage, I am not afraid of heights, but I don't like heights. So things like climbing on roofs or going rock climbing or standing on tall scaffolding, things like these I'm willing to do and have done, but I really am not excited to do. And the same thing goes for roller coasters. I am not a fan of roller coasters. Amen. Amen. That's right, brother. <laughs> but my wife, she loves them. She loves roller coasters. And so years ago, uh, we decided to go to Bush Gardens down in Tampa together because I had been there as a kid and she had never been before. And I told her that I remembered the ride that my siblings really loved at Bush Gardens as a kid, and it's called the Montu. Now, if you aren't familiar with this particular roller coaster, here is how Bush Gardens' website describes it. It says, Climb high into the air and hold on for a twisting drop, a 60-foot vertical loop, an Emelman loop, and a weightless roll. And that's only the beginning on this inverted roller coaster. Well, that sounds terrible to people like me but not to Casey. So we got to the park when it opened, and I told her that since there wouldn't be any lines, let's just go ride that roller coaster first. So we got on it, we rode it, and it was as terrible as I remembered, but she enjoyed it. So when we got off, there was still no line. I said we might as well ride it one more time, right, before the lines come. So we rode it a second time. Got off the ride, still no line. And here's the thing, I hate lines more than I hate roller coasters. So I said, let's ride it one more time before everybody comes to the park. So we rode it a third time. And that was about enough twists and turns that I could handle. My stomach was in knots. I think we spent the next 30 to 45 minutes just sitting down so I could kind of regather myself before we rode any more rides that day. Now here's the thing. Maybe you are a roller coaster enthusiast like Casey. You love the twists and turns, the ups, the downs, the thrill of a seatbelt keeping you from certain death. Maybe that's something that you really enjoy. But what none of us enjoys is when our lives become like a roller coaster. Do you know what I mean by that? Where everything's good one day and then it's not the next. Surprises come out of nowhere. We experience these highs and these lows. And sometimes we just want the craziness to stop for just a second so we can regather ourselves. Everyone in the world experiences roller coaster days and seasons in life, including Christians. In fact, as Christians, there are days and seasons where it feels that our faith and that our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ is kind of like a roller coaster. Maybe you know what I mean by that. Where, where one day you feel really close to the Lord. I mean, your worship is vibrant and it's heartfelt and your prayers seem so incredible. And then on other days, God seems distant. Your worship feels stale. Our hearts are overwhelmed. How do we navigate those times? You see, we're going to experience highs and lows in our faith, believers. So how do we ride that 
roller coaster well in our spiritual lives. Well, as we turn to Psalm 42 this morning, I pray that we'll learn some lessons from the psalmist who was enduring some similar ups and downs that many of us have and perhaps some of us are experiencing in our faith. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to me there. Psalm 42. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 452. Page 452. Psalm 42. Now, as you turn there, I just want us to address this first. Who wrote this psalm? You'll notice as you turn there that it begins at the very top, it'll say, for the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah, of the sons of Korah. Now, there are at least 11 psalms credited to the sons of Korah. So who, who are these individuals? Well, Korah, Korah was an Israelite from the tribe of, of Levi who lived back in the days when Israel was wandering around in the wilderness before they ever entered into the promised land. And during that time, this Israelite named Korah decided to lead a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Now, you can go home and read about that this week in Numbers chapter 16 was a result, as a consequence of this rebellion that he led, we read that the ground opened up and swallowed up Korah and his co-conspirators. And then fire from God came and consumed their followers. But the Bible tells us in Numbers 26 that the descendants, the sons of Korah, were spared from this fate. And then years later, we find that during the time of King David... The descendants, or sons of Korah, they were given these places of prominence, leading the worship of Israel in Jerusalem. Surely these descendants of the infamous Korah knew the greatness of God's grace, that he spared their line, that he gave them a place of great service among his people. I share that this morning because, you know, sometimes we're quick to read past things like a masculine of the sons of Korah. We don't really consider the beauty of certain parts of God's word as just a beautiful thing to consider the greatness of God's grace. And it was one such son of Korah who wrote Psalm 42, and as we'll see later, very possibly Psalm 43. But let's look together. Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1, says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? How many of us, by the way, how many of us can say what the psalmist said here, believers? How many of us can say, my soul pants for you? God. Do you want to know if your soul thirsts for God? Well, one way to know is to just look at the things that you seek out most earnestly in your daily life. You see, many of us during the week, we seek out things like social media and television and entertainment and hobbies, and none of these are inherently bad things, but if we were to compare them to the level of our desire for God, what does our soul pant 
for? Do we intentionally carve out time for God the way that we carve out time for all these other things? You see, the psalmist wanted, he wanted to meet with God. He wanted to worship God. Look at this heart that he had for the Lord. But as we'll see in a moment, there was, there was a problem that he was experiencing. You see, the picture here isn't just a deer that's, ah, that's thirsty for some water. No, 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 this is a deer exhausted of thirst. Like a parched animal in the desert, desperately looking for streams of water. This isn't simply about satisfaction. This is about survival. The deer needs water to live. And the psalmist sees his need for God. His soul thirsts for more of him. But then he said this next in verse 3. He said, My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. You see, the psalmist, he, he longed for God, but his soul wasn't filled with those quiet streams that the Good Shepherd leads us to. No, 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 he was filled with his own tears. He thirsted for God, he was seeking God, but it seemed that for him, God felt far away. Now here's the thing, we don't know exactly what the psalmist's situation was. There's some speculation that because of the godless enemies he was surrounded by, because of his distance from Jerusalem, that perhaps he was traveling. Or maybe he was living in exile at the time. Or maybe he was living at the hands of defeat at Israel's enemies. But whatever the case was, the psalmist's regular pattern of worship in Jerusalem had been interrupted. And, and this was a bigger deal for the Jews then than it is for us today. You see, worship at the temple was a key part of the Jewish religious life and observance with God's commands. Today, God's people were not bound to some building, but as Jesus said in John chapter 4, we worship in spirit and in truth. However, gathering with a local body of Christians is commanded to us, believer. We are commanded to gather with Christians. And because of that, the local church is important for God's people today. And here's the thing. About five years ago, if we tried to identify with the psalmist longing for the house of God, well, that would have been a foreign concept to us. But then the 2020 shutdowns happened. See, as we know, in some countries, in some states in our own country, Christians were banned from gathering together in local churches to worship. Now, that wasn't our exact situation here in Florida. We weren't kept from worshiping, but as many of us know, we still experienced a change, didn't we? Even here at our church. We spent a number of weeks just online, then we did some drive-up services, then we were in our gym. We were outside of the sanctuary for the better part of a year. But it's interesting because that was a really revealing time for churches. Because through that time, you saw some people who, like the psalmist, they longed to return to worshiping in sanctuaries, hand in hand with their fellow believers. 
And then there were those who just left. Well, the shutdowns were just an excuse. They were content not to go to church anymore. But some believers, they weren't content to give up worshiping God in his house, just like the psalmist was not content to do that. I think today we have a better understanding of how he was feeling. And as if that wasn't enough, the psalmist, he was surrounded by godless people who mocked his faith. He said, hey, 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 where's your God? Where's this great outstretched arm of his that you're always talking about? Where are his answers to your prayers? Where is he? Where is your God? And even in the midst of that, the psalmist, he, he remembered the good times. Right? In verse 4, he talks about that. He remembered back when he would worship in the festivals at Jerusalem, when he was at the temple, back when worship was joyful, when he was surrounded by others praising God. That was back when times were good. But things had come crashing down for him. Now he's surrounded by all these mockers. God, God feels distant. He thirsts for God. He thirsts for vibrant worship, but he can't seem to find it. Have you ever felt that way? Ever felt that, that worship, worship was once special. You felt this, this closeness to God, and, and now your worship just feels empty. Maybe you felt that, that God, God feels far away. That joy that you used to have singing His praises, now it feels forced. That passion that you had reading God's Word, now that, that passion has waned. That intimacy that you felt in prayer has grown cold. You see, sometimes we find ourselves in these low points in our spiritual lives because our worship feels empty. I mean, maybe you're feeling that way today. But you know something? I admire the psalmist because despite all of this, despite all that he was feeling, despite maybe even feeling that his worship was dry or empty, I admire him because he said that he continued to pour out his soul to God. He didn't stop worshiping, even though he was in this dry and empty season in his life. See, sadly, that's what some of us do as God's people. We, we drift away from worship in those seasons. We love the high points of spiritual worship when we feel close to the Lord, but then we walk away in the low times. When we find ourselves in those valleys, we drift away from worship, we sing to the Lord less, we read His Word less, we stop going to church. What did the psalmist do? Look at verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So the, so the psalmist made a decision. He said, what are you doing, soul? Put your hope in God. In the midst of the spiritual low that he was in, he chose to put his trust and his hope in God and to praise him despite the sorrows of his soul. Now, you see, it's easy to praise God when life is rosy, isn't it? But when we experience those thorns and thistles of life, it gets a little harder to do that. That's when, like the psalmist, we must choose to trust and hope in our great God, even when our worship feels empty. Yeah, I was reading this this week, and I came to verse 5, and I thought to myself, this is where the psalm could end. 
He could have just finished right here. I mean, what's left? He made the best decision that he could, right? But that's not always how it goes in our lives. A lot of us know that. Sometimes we make the right decision. We choose to put our hope in God. And then, then those doubts come back right away. That roller coaster begins. It did for the psalmist. Look what he said in verse 6. He said, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? It's a strange thing, because in verse 5, the psalmist says he's, he will hope in God. And then in verse 6, he says, my soul is downcast within me. I mean, talk about a spiritual roller coaster that this guy was on. And we find a few more of the reasons for this low point that he was in. You see, the psalmist was taking time to remember God, but he felt like God didn't remember him. He feels that God has forgotten him. On top of all that, his enemies continue to taunt him. He says his bones suffer agony. He was feeling the physical and emotional and spiritual onslaught of troubles in his life. And you see, sometimes we find ourselves in some sort of spiritual low point because our worship feels empty. And sometimes we find ourselves in that low point because our troubles abound. The psalmist said, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. It was like one trial and one trouble after another continued to come into his life. When I was a young kid, I was invited to go with some friends to the beach for the day on the east coast of Maryland. It's a beach I'd never been to. And I was surprised how rough the waters were there, at least that day. The waves were pretty big. They were pretty strong. And at one point in the day, uh, we went into the water about waist deep, and we were trying to, you know, jump over the waves when they came to us, the way the kids often do. But there was this, this moment where I wasn't paying attention, and this large wave came up behind me, and it just crashed right into me. And it threw me with such force under the water that it threw me against the ground, and it swirled me around, I was probably under the water for five seconds. But as a kid, it felt like it was five minutes. I didn't know which way was up. I was doing flips under the water. I could feel that more waves were crashing down on top of me. I was terrified. All I wanted was to get my head above water like before. And you see, sometimes as life's troubles swirl around us, we find that our soul is downcast. We just want to get our head above water. We just want to return to how things were before. And we find this conflict within ourselves, like the psalmist did. Because we, we know that God is our rock, 
who, who directs us in his love, but we feel that perhaps he's abandoned us or forgotten us. Why? Because our circumstances have become hard. Because troubles pile upon troubles. And it might be some physical trouble that some of us face. The psalmist said his bones were in agony. Maybe for you, maybe it's that cancer that's tearing you up. It's that sickness that keeps knocking you down. We might be going through some sort of emotional hardship. He was taunted by his enemies day after day. And maybe for you, it's people mocking your faith. Or maybe it's that relationship that's become broken. Or maybe it's that loss that you are suffering. Or we simply find ourselves in some sort of spiritual wasteland where we're just confused in our faith and we have these questions that seem to go unanswered and we feel very low. And you know, we could spend time today debating who the psalmist's enemies were why he felt so downcast, but we're not given those answers. We are given his response, and I want us to see what it was in verse 11. He said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. If you want a little... Deja vu with that one as we read it. You see, as these troubles swirl around him, as these questions fill his heart, the author returns to his previous resolution. He tells his soul to hope in God and to praise him. Because you see, we're not always given the answers to our questions. We may not understand every reason that we are enduring these trials. We may not understand why this weight seems so heavy, but we have every reason to put our hope in God. And you'll notice this was an intentional decision that he made in the midst of trouble. You see, you'll find that the psalmist, the psalmist, he didn't, he didn't bargain with God, did he? Now, he didn't say, hey, God, maybe you should rescue me and then I'll trust you again. Because that's what we do sometimes, isn't it? Don't we bargain with God sometimes? We say, hey, God, why don't you... Why don't you save me from this trial and then I'll worship you again. And then I'll tithe. And then I'll pray. And then, and then I'll go to church. We bargain with God. Or we just become frustrated and we blame God. We say, well, you've clearly forgotten me, so guess what? I'll show you. I'm going to forget about you, God. See, when our lives become these spiritual roller coasters, when it becomes hard, we find ourselves in this pit of despair, and we're tempted to just throw up our hands. Just, just give up and be done. But when we do that, the only result is that we stay in that pit, and then we look to worthless things to numb the pain. Instead, believers, we need to say to our soul, often more than once, we need to say, soul, put your hope in God. This is not deja vu. This is a daily commitment that we must choose to make. Because when you're on that spiritual roller coaster, it becomes so easy, so easy to become focused on those physical and emotional and spiritual troubles that we lose our focus on God. And that's when we need to daily choose to put our hope in Him. Because in His due time, believer, He will lift us up as we pursue Him. 
But it seems that the psalmist had more to say. It's believed that Psalm 43 was originally part of the same psalm, and then it was later divided. There's a couple reasons that this is believed to be the case. One is that some older Hebrew manuscripts have Psalm 42 and 43 combined as one psalm. But another is because there are a lot of similarities in the thought and the wording. It's quite striking. We're going to see that together. And since the theme is certainly in keeping with Psalm 42, I felt that we should include this today. So let's look at Psalm 43, beginning in verse 1. It says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. You can, almost, you can almost hear the confusion in the psalmist's heart as he writes. He says, God, God, why, why am I the one mourning? My enemies should be the ones who are mourning. They're the unfaithful. They're the ungodly ones. I want to praise you. They just want to mock you. Have you, have you rejected me? What we read in Psalm 42, verse 9, he said, have you, have you forgotten me? Maybe you've gone through those times where the Lord, he felt so close to you. It was like you were holding his hand in yours as you walked through life. And then one day you're looking around and it's just, you feel like you don't know where he is. And then suddenly it seems like everyone and everything is against you. To the point that we bring these questions to God and certainly the most common question we ask God is, why? Why? God, God, why am I going through this? God, why is this hurt so deep? Why did you let this happen to me? Why didn't you stop this? Why aren't you saving me right now? God, why? Sometimes we find ourselves in these spiritual low points because our worship feels empty. Sometimes it's because all our troubles abound. And sometimes it's because our questions to God, they go unanswered. We ask God, we ask Him for direction, we ask Him for answers, for some sort of explanation, for some proof of something, and then it's just nothing. And that's when we're tempted to think, God, have you, have you rejected me? Are, are you still with me? There was a young family father and mother and their young daughter. And one day, the mother and wife, she passed away. On the day of her funeral, family and friends invited the young father and his young daughter to come stay with them so they didn't have to spend the night in that house that was so filled with memories. But the young father, he politely declined. That night, he brought his young daughter's bed into his room so they could be near to one another on what he knew would be a difficult, difficult night. And sure enough, as they lay there that night, neither of them was able to fall asleep. 
And at one point, the young girl spoke up and she said, she said, Daddy, Daddy, are you there? It's so dark. I'm so sad. And I can't see you. But you're there, aren't you? She said, yes. He said, I'm, I'm here. He said, go to sleep, sweetheart. And after a little bit of time, his daughter drifted to sleep. But the man stayed awake, and as he stared up at the ceiling, he said, Heavenly Father, are you there? Oh, it's so dark. And I'm so sad, and I can't see you. He said, but you're there, aren't you? Aren't you still with me? And then the words of Isaiah 41 filled his heart. He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, sometimes, believers, we face these spiritually dark and difficult times, and we cry out to God. The question, believer, is, what will you do when your questions seem to go unanswered? When God seems silent, how will you respond? You'll notice the psalmist didn't even wait for an answer from God before he went on to say that God was his joy and his delight. He didn't despise God, even though he didn't understand what God was doing. He didn't despise him. Now, the psalmist might have been confused about the reasons for these hopeless times, but he wasn't confused about how he should respond. And can you guess? Can you guess how he responded? Look at how he responded in verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So for the third time, he says, put your hope in God, and I will yet praise Him. Things might have been a spiritual roller coaster for the psalmist, but he was going to remind himself again and again and again in the depths of despair that the right decision was to put his hope in God and direct his praise to the Lord. And the evidence of his hope was simple enough to see. He was persistent in coming to God. He continued to look to God as the only source of rescue, and he continued to look to praise his great God. See, the problem for, for many of us is that these times come, we have these days where we experience some sort of spiritual low, and we're tempted to ignore God. We say to ourselves, this problem that I'm facing, it's just too great. And so we convince ourselves that, that it's okay not to spend time in prayer. It's okay not to spend time in the Bible. We say, no, I'll do that when life is going right again. But instead of that, we need to constantly be saying to our downcast soul, put your hope in God. Not long ago, I shared the story with all of you of Johnny Erickson Tata. But in case you're unfamiliar, a brief reminder is that as a teenager, Johnny was in a diving accident, which has left her for over 40 years in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic. 
On top of that, she's faced several bouts with cancer, and she has chronic pain most days. And I want to read you something that Johnny Erickson Tata wrote just a few years ago. She said this. She said, there are very few days when my soul does not require a good talking to. On most mornings when pain encroaches, I demand my soul to come into alignment with the Holy Spirit. I order it to stand at attention and to take orders from God for the day. That it rejoice in the day that's been made by its Creator. That it ascribe to a holy purpose for living. That my soul quit being sullen and be hopeful in Jesus. And to rejoice in the Lord, for therein lies its strength. And believers, therein lies our strength too, in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing, church. While you and I may never experience the same hardships as this son of Korah, while you and I may never experience the same hardship as Johnny Erickson Tata, the truth is that you and I will experience hardship. In fact, for those of us who desire to live a life for the Lord, our hardships will be multiplied. The Bible assures us of that. In fact, we saw that this morning in the psalm, didn't we? The psalmist was taunted by his enemies for his faith. How could that be the case unless his faith was well known? Those of us who desire to pursue and live for the Lord, we will face hardships. Now, the good news, believer, is those of us who desire to live for the Lord, we're going to experience those spiritual mountaintops at times where our relationship with God is as strong as can be. But we will still endure spiritual valleys in our lives where things are dark and uncertain, where like the psalmist, we feel oppressed and downcast. But let us not give up our hope in those times, believers. Rather, let us put our hope where it belongs. You see, the truth this morning, church, is that when our hope is constantly found in God, we will not give up our faith in the constant trials of life. Or when our hope is constantly found in God our Savior, we're not going to give up our faith, even though these trials seem to come after us one after another sometimes. So here's my challenge to you, church. When you experience the twists and turns of this life, the highs and lows, when, when you experience those low points in your life, when you are pressed hard, when you are oppressed by the devil and by this world, do not give up your hope. Rather, choose to put your focus back on God and choose to put your hope in Him. And do not stop worshiping God our Savior because He's still worthy of our worship. That's the first thing. Don't stop worshiping in the is this, let us not, believers, in those low moments, do what we are prone to do, which is to isolate ourselves from the body of Christ. Don't do that. The family of Christ, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to pray for each other, to look out for each other. How can we do that if we are not willing to share with one another the things that we are going through? Don't, don't isolate yourself from the family of Christ. Share with someone how they can pray for you and pray with you through something, believers. Put your hope in God because the same God who meets us on that mountaintop is the same God who is with us in the valley 
And he's deserving of all of our praise, even when it's too dark to see him. So let's be there to encourage one another. As we prepare to close during this final invitation song, I'm going to encourage you. If you're here, Christian, and you find yourself on a spiritual mountaintop today, things are good. Pour out your praise to God during this final song. And then, before you leave, look for a Christian you can encourage. And I'm going to encourage you, if you are here and you find yourself in one of those spiritual valleys, things are just, they are hard right now. Believer, don't leave without praising God and don't leave without pouring out your heart to God. I'm going to encourage you to find a believer you can do that with. In fact, during our invitation time, I've asked several believers to be up here up front with me. I've asked one couple to be in the back. If you are going through something, find one of these believers so that you can pray with them. The Bible says that as Christians, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Maybe you need to rejoice with someone. Maybe you need to mourn with someone. But don't, don't leave this place isolating yourself, carrying your burden all alone, believer. And if you're here and you can't call yourself a believer, you can't call yourself a Christian, you've never gone to Jesus in faith, friend, before you leave, I want you to understand what we mean when we say that our hope is in Christ. This is not some fingers crossed wish that we are making. The hope of Christians is an eager expectation that God will do the things he has said he will do. And we want you to understand before you leave why our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our confident assurance is in Christ because his love was demonstrated for us. And the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for you and for me and for everyone in this room this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the Bible is clear that our sin is what's separating us from God. That our sin after this life deserves an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's where we deserve to be. The good news is that in his great love for you, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And then he powerfully rose from the dead. And right now, Jesus stands in heaven waiting to forgive you of all your sins, to pardon you from the penalty of hell, and to bring you into a relationship with him. And then he'll start walking with you through the ups and the downs of this life until this life is over and we walk with him forever in eternity. If you've never made that decision, we want to give you the chance to do that before you leave. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anybody here who has never given their life to Jesus, that they wouldn't leave that way today. You've said in your word that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. So Father, I pray if there's someone here that wants to make that decision, that they would be willing to come and talk to me or one of these believers here at the front or in the back so that we can pray with them, answer the questions they might have. But Father, if they're ready right now to give their life to Christ, I pray that individual would go to you in prayer right now. That they would confess to you and admit that they are a sinner. But that they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and that Jesus rose from the dead. And that they would put their faith in Jesus as their only Savior. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who are followers of Jesus Christ, Father, we know we're going to go through these spiritual highs and lows in our lives. I pray that in those moments where things are so very difficult, where troubles pile upon troubles, where our worship feels empty, when we bring our questions to You and You seem silent, I pray that in those times we would say to our soul, 
put your hope in God. And that we would pour out our heart to you in worship. And that we would look to the family of Christ for prayer. Father, maybe there are some of us here today, we're on that spiritual mountaintop, and we just need to pour out our praise to you. That's how we need to respond. I pray that's what we do during this final song. But Father, I know that there are some of us here, we're just going through a valley. Times have just gotten really hard for some of us. And I pray that we wouldn't withhold the praise that you are due. I pray that we wouldn't isolate ourselves from the family of Christ. But that we would go to each other and pray with one another. So that we could encourage one another. So we could bear each other's burdens. We could rejoice and mourn with each other. Father, some of us need to respond that way today. As we pour out our hearts to you. However it is that you're leading each of us, I pray that we would respond as your spirit leads. We pray that in the end you'd be honored and glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.